We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. We are in the second week of our series. It's called Unseen Battle. Everyone say Unseen Battle. Last week, we talked about identifying the battle. There's a battle. It's unseen. It's kind of murky sometimes what the battle is. You've got to know your word, and you've got to identify the struggle. Let's remember our scripture memory verse for this brand new month. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All right, there's the battle. There it is. We have a struggle, but it's not with people. Our struggle's not with flesh and blood. Our struggle then is spiritual. It is against spiritual forces of evil. We taught you that everything in the physical has a spiritual counterpart. And once you start really walking by faith, not by sight, once you start walking in the spirit and not in the flesh, you will see everyone differently. You'll see the situations of the world differently. You will look past the physical. You will understand that there is a spiritual counterpart to everything. Reminder, that is both good and bad. Everything in the positive, there is a positive spirit behind that. The Lord is behind that. And everything that is so hideous and, and hateful and comes killing, stealing, and destroying, we know that there is an evil spirit behind that physical. When the bully at school says hurtful words, although you experience it in the physical, There is a spiritual counterpart behind the actions of the bully. When there is a drive-by shooting in your neighborhood, you find bullet holes in your garage. That's a scary physical evidence. But there is also a spirit at work. And we know that that spirit is behind that violence. When a loved one becomes sick, although there is a physical sickness that we can't, we can actually see the sickness Swimming around under a microscope, we understand that all sickness and death is a spiritual condition brought on by man falling into sin way back in the Garden of Eden. We must identify the battle, and the battle is at first spiritual, and then it manifests itself in the physical. I want to talk to you today uh, as briefly as I can about spiritual Weapons. Everyone say spiritual weapons. Hey, we're fighting a spiritual battle, so we need spiritual weapons. All right? Excellent. Once we identify the battle as spiritual, we got to take hold of the right weapons. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they aren't physical. They aren't fleshly. They aren't human. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, all right? Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says this, it's not by might nor by power, both those things are physical, but it is by what? My spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That is how 
the battle is won. The battle is won in the spirit. The battle is not won through carnal weapons. And how, how does the devil operate? The devil operates. He, he gets a hold of somebody and he has them do something in the physical. The spirit of the enemy will lead somebody to hurt someone in the physical. To say something that abuses someone in the physical. To go and steal from someone in the physical. But in God's army, in God's kingdom, we fight completely different. We go and we take not carnal weapons. We take spiritual weapons. They are mighty to God. God is the backup of every one of our weapons. His power and his promise is what backs it up. It is actually not by our might. It is not by our power. And that is really good because there are times you don't feel so powerful, right? There are times you're facing a problem right now and you don't feel so mighty. Guess what? It is not up to you. In fact, I would tell you if you feel mighty and powerful that you are in trouble because that's probably pride at work in your life. But it is not by might. It is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. I want to talk to you about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, where our scripture memory verse is found. It lists a whole spiritual armor that we are to utilize. We could spend the entire day talking about these things, if not the entire sermon series talking about these things. Here they are very quickly. Truth. Righteousness. Peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. There are six of them. One more time. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. These are spiritual weapons to use in our unseen battle. All right. Now, if you have trouble remembering all that, the Bible tells us to put on the Full armor of God. If you have trouble with that explanation, can I make it simpler? Who likes simpler? Oh, here it is. The Bible says, clothe yourself in Christ. Now, I want to read this list again, and I want you to think about Christ, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. (laughs) Clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Every bit of this weaponry and every bit of this protection is Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? Your pastor can't protect you, but your Lord can. Your mommy and your daddy can't protect you, but the Lord can. It is the Lord that is our armor. Next, the blood of Jesus. Somebody say the blood of Jesus. Somebody say, oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. No other fount I know. You know it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is a spiritual weapon. I want to tell you there was something gnarly going on at the original Passover. There was an a death type angel. There was some kind of spiritual entity that was walking through a city. And it was looking to kill the firstborn son of every household. Didn't care who you were. 
didn't care your background, didn't care what God you professed. It was looking to kill every firstborn son of every household. That original Passover taught us that if the blood of the lamb is applied to the door of your home, the enemy can't enter. That powerful spiritual entity, powerful enough to kill Pharaoh's son, it walked into that city and it seemed unstoppable. No army could stop it. No physical weapons could stop it. But there was a spiritual weapon. It was the blood of the lamb. And when they painted the doorposts of their home, that enemy could not enter their house. Would you like the enemy not to be able to enter your house? The blood of the lamb is the weapon that you need. All that Jesus did needs to be applied to our lives. Every mistake you make, get out your paintbrush and cover it in the blood of the lamb. All your mistakes, all the things you did wrong and all the things you didn't do. Sin of omission. Apply it to your lives. Not only that, you can apply the blood of Jesus to your home. You can apply the blood of Jesus to your children. I want to tell you, beyond the physical, you can apply the blood of Jesus to every part of your life. When you sin, repent. And you have immediately applied the blood of Jesus. And guess what? The moment you repent and the blood is there, you have an instant win against the enemy. It's such a win that the angels in heaven put all the NFL fans to shame, all the NCAA football fans to shame, and they shout out in victory every time somebody repents. The moment you repent, you are applying the blood of Jesus, your spiritual weapon, and you get an instant win against the enemy. Anybody need a win lately spiritually? Repent. You, rep- the moment you repent, you have an instant win. Don't wait for your next sin to repent. Y'all listen one second. Can I help you here? Don't wait for your next sin to repent. Why not every day apply the blood of Jesus Christ to your life? I have another way of thinking about that. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of direction, right? And every day, why don't you just make sure your direction and your mind is completely focused on Jesus? I I have a problem with Christianity. Sometimes we think repentance is only when you sin. I want to change that around here. I want us to repent every day and refocus our life. And every day ask the blood of Jesus to cover us every day. And how do we do this? We do this through prayer. Prayer. Prayer is so important. I want to talk to you quickly about prayer and fasting. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests 
to God. I think we misunderstand prayer. I think we do. In this one verse, Paul does a lot of teaching. Paul can do a lot of teaching in a a short verse, can he? Prayer is the Greek word, uh, prosuche. Prosuche. I did my best. And it means to talk to God. It's one of the things it means, obviously. That's why we call prayer around here, talking to God. And it also means a set-apart place to pray to God. So not only does it mean talk to God, but it is used to create a location, to create a space where you will talk to God. I present to you the idea that prayer is an atmosphere where you can walk in relationship with God, much like how God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. There was an atmosphere where they would just have relationship with God. He would talk to them and they would talk to him. Prayer is a set-apart life powered by open communication with God. Everyone say set-apart That ought to make you think of what word in in your Bible? The word holy. The word holy. It is set apart. It is only for God. Prayer is a set apart place. And you need a set apart prayer life. You need a prayer life that is set apart. You need time that is set apart. You need energy that is set apart. You need a devotion and a consecration that only goes to him. You need a passion that only goes to him. It's set apart. It's set apart. I won't let any show I watch get the passion that's set apart for him. I won't let any relationship in my world have the passion that's set apart for him. And guess what? I need to make time in my life that nobody gets access to. But God, do you have a set apart life powered by open communication with God? What kind of communication? Let's get back to Paul and get to what he's teaching us. Paul tells us, he says prayer at the beginning. I gave you a definition for that, that set apartness. Here's the first thing he says, petition. Thank you for keeping that verse up. Everybody see petition there. Yes. Prayer and petition. Petition is a type of prayer. Petition is asking God for what you need. What you need. Anybody need something? In prayer, we make petitions to him. We say, God, I need this. That is a powerful thing. Number one, if you can't confess you need something to God, then he's not your God and you are God. You need to confess that I need something and that is a powerful thing. My kids never have to worry about coming to their dad or their mom and saying they need something. They are not shy about their petitions, nor should you be shy about your petitions to God. The first kind of prayer is a petition. Second, there is thanksgiving, thanking God, worshiping and honoring God. This is prayer. This is a part of prayer. Oh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is he doing? He is worshiping and honoring the name of God. God, what is that? That's thanksgiving. That's giving him praise. That's giving him glory. We need to have a part of our prayer life that is 
thanksgiving. Are you following me? You need to be thankful in your prayer. I don't care what's going on around you and how it's getting you down. When you pray, you need to offer God thanksgiving. I'm thankful to you, Lord. I am grateful to you, Lord. And then third, request. Somebody say request. Request is asking God for what others need. Whereas petitions is where what you need, now request is outward focus. And it is focusing on what Charles needs. It is focusing on what Robert needs. It's focusing on what Elizabeth needs. And now we are requesting God to move on the behalf of others. All right? When you communicate with God, are you leaving out petition? Most people aren't. Most people's prayer life is just asking God for stuff. In fact, most people pray only when they need stuff. This is a term, it's it's not a Bible term, but I believe it is a sugar daddy. Sugar daddy, if you know what that means. A lot of people treat God like a sugar daddy. When they need something, they come around, they make those googly eyes at the Lord. They say, oh, have I sung you a song lately? Have you heard this one? Amazing grace. Now, I need some stuff if you would help me with that. A lot of people do that. Somebody say amen because the preacher's not lying. But we got to get past petition. A lot of people are lacking the next one. What is it? Thanksgiving. In your open communication, set apart prayer life, are you lacking Thanksgiving. The only time you worship better not be at 5.30 on Sunday here at this latitude and longitude in Plano. Every time you pray ought to be a praise session. It ought to be a session where you declare, God, you are God and I am not. And you are able and I've seen you move. You move the mountain. And I believe I'll see you do it again. It is a time of thanksgiving. Are you leaving out thanksgiving in your prayer life? And then last, what was the last one? Requests, very good. You need to make your requests known to God. You need to pray for others. You need to pray for others. Uh, But not your enemies, right? Come on, somebody. Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. Republicans, pray for your Democrats. Democrats, pray at all. Just kidding, Democrats. Pray for Republicans. I'm not putting y'all down. I love y'all. Your requests. Make your requests known. Make requests to somebody. To God for for somebody. There There are people that need somebody to pray for them. I tell you, one of the things I hate the most on Facebook is somebody said, oh, I need this thing. And somebody says, I'm going to pray for you. Do not, I'm going to pray for somebody. Pray for them. Now. Do it now. God's available now. Pray now. And make those requests to God. Mm. Do you have a set apart life where you walk in relationship with God? Anybody handle a little honesty? Anybody handle a little honesty? I was reading the word of God this week and I got a verse that just jumped out at me. And it was like, oh, oh my. Some of those verses make you go, yes, Lord. And some go, oh, Lord. Anybody got one of those verses? And those verses will surprise you. Those verses will come out and they will bite you in a way you didn't expect. Oh, I believe it's Romans chapter 12, verse 2 this week. It said that when 
to be uh, joyful in hope. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. And faithful in prayer. And I looked at that and I just, I saw and I, I just realized somebody has trouble with probably one out of three of those things. At least, right? There is probably one of those three, Chris Fluitt, that you are weakest at. And I looked at that and I considered it. And it did not take an hour of prayer and fasting to come up with the answer. Here was the answer, if I can be absolutely real with you. Faithful in prayer. And I said, oh, Lord, I'm going to be faithful in prayer. I'm going to be faithful in prayer. And I tell you, that might be the key to it. Because if you're faithful in prayer, I bet you can be a little bit more joyful in hope. I believe if you are faithful in prayer, you might be a little more patient in affliction. Oh, church, I want, I'm, I'm, one of my prayers this week is, Lord, let Redemption Church be a church that's faithful in prayer. Let us be faithful in prayer. Lord, don't let us just pray on first Tuesday, coming up this Tuesday, by the way. But Lord, don't let us just be faithful in prayer at, at, at the building. Lord, let us be faithful in prayer every day. Some of y'all need a prayer meeting every time you're driving into work. Turn off, turn off that radio and pray. Talk to God. They, they walked with God in the cool of the day. You can drive with God in the cool of the day. I don't recommend closing your eyes while you're praying, while you're driving. A little bit of wisdom for you. A little bit of wisdom. All right. Oh, but let's have a set-apart life. It's only for Him. Where we walk in relationship with God. Through the beauty of prayer. We bring Him our petitions. We bring Him our thankfulness. And we bring Him our requests. I feel your presence. I want to tell you, if you don't pray, if you don't have this called out life, you are not actually in the battle yet. The battle's swirling all around you. You see the effects of the battle. You see an explosion here. You hear screaming there, right? You see somebody running here and there's a trail of blood. You see the battle, but you are not in the battle if you do not have a prayer life. If you are not in prayer, you're not in the battle. Does that make sense to anybody? Oh. When you are in the battle and all these attacks are coming on you, I want to remember, I want you to remember something. I tried to make it memorable for you to remember. You need to remember to dial 911. Several movies have used this joke. I know it's like, does quick, does anybody know the number to 911? Does anybody remember the number to 911? I want, in prayer life, I, I, you need to learn how to dial 911. Do you know where 911 is in your Bible? It's in there, and I want you to know it for the rest of your life. It is Psalm 91 and 1. Everybody say Psalm 91 and 1. It's Psalm 911. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. I want to tell you that there is a secret place. You know what secrets are, right? Or has no one told you? Kept it secret. See that what I did there? There is a secret place 
that the enemy does not know about. There's an enemy after you. And the enemy knows your location. The enemy has spirits, problems, has temptations coming at you. Sometimes they are coming and they are like, you know, meeting you and you're in the middle of the alley and you look there and there's the bad guy and you look there, there's the bad guy. You look there, there's the bad guy. You look down, they're coming out of the manhole cover. It's like, oh my gosh. But there is a secret place. Somebody say secret place. It might be a little bit like the invisibility cloak in Harry Potter. Might be a little bit like a cloaking device in a Klingon ship, Star Trek. But one moment, you're right there. And the next moment, you aren't. I want you to picture that. One moment, the enemy has eyes on you. And they are rejoicing over what they're about to do to you. But the next moment, they look mighty confused. The next moment... They might be radioing in back to headquarters going, uh, I don't know what to tell you, boss, but uh, Vicky got away. She's not there anymore. The enemy in one moment sees you, but in the next moment, you have entered a secret place. There is a secret refuge in God, and you have access to this refuge only through a set-apart Spiritual prayer. There's a secret place where lions' mouths cannot get you. There is a secret place where the flames of a fire cannot devour you. There is a secret place where prison doors are open. And a king who thought he was going to behead you in the morning starts to feel mighty foolish. There is a secret place. Where drug addiction cannot find you. There is a secret place. Where regret and shame cannot locate you. There is a secret place. But if we don't pray. We do not enter that secret place. We do not know that they that dwell. In the secret place of the most high. Are actually under the shadow of. And that's why David says, you see, David, he knew about this secret place, didn't he? (laughs) He says that he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and in him I trust. This week, you need to step into your secret place. Before tonight's over, you can step into your secret place. And guess what? You actually don't have to leave that secret place. You can go to your job and stay in that secret place. Y'all understand? You don't have to be continually praying this long prayer. You know, to be, and also, um, you know, and help all the kitties in the world. And you're like running out of things to pray about. And the puppies. And no, no, you're praying and you're in this atmosphere of prayer. And even though you're in the line at Starbucks, you're staying in the secret place of God. You are still in the fortress that is him. The name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower. And though the righteous run into it. Those that are in right standing with God. They run into it. And they are saved. So remember to dial 
911. What's the verse? Psalm 91 and 1. 911. Jesus utilized prayer, didn't he? And he utilized fasting. Oh man, Jesus was the best at it. Jesus was the best at it. Quash. <laughs> was he good at it? In Mark 9, there was a demon that the disciples were not able to cast out. Hope you're familiar with this story. Jesus cast out the demon. And later, the disciples asked, why were we not able to cast the demon out? Mark 9, 29. And he said to them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. There is a spiritual enemy that requires spiritual weapons of prayer and fasting to defeat. Fasting is abstaining from food. Abstaining from food makes you weak. Where? In the physical. Oh, man. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us this. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I want you to understand this. Try to put this together. That going without food, fasting, it makes you weak. Where? It makes you weak in your physical. And the Lord tells us that his power, is his power physical? No. Is his power spiritual? Yes. There is a spiritual power that is made perfect when you are weak. Your weakness allows God's strength and power to be perfect and whole in your life. All of his power in your life when you allow yourself to be weak in the physical. The weakness of fasting gives you greater access to the spiritual by denying the physical. I want to tell you, you can do more than fast food. Fast food. Not McDonald's. Abstain from food. You can abstain from Netflix. You can abstain from social media. You can abstain from other types of entertainment. And then replace it with access to God. And that will make you powerful. Instead of sustaining yourself on the physical, on the food, on the entertainment, you are sustained by the Spirit of God. Fasting does more than make you weak, though. Fasting, everything in the physical, has a spiritual counterpart. Amen? We're there? Good. Well, guess what? Fasting does more than make you weak in the physical. Fasting weakens your spiritual enemy. Oh, I hope I'm introducing you to a new verse here. Isaiah 58 and 6. Look at this one. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, says the Lord? To loose chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. There is a spiritual weapon that loosens the chains of injustice. Our world talks about injustice a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, guess what? Here's a spiritual weapon against it. You hear me, world? There is a spiritual weapon against all injustice. It goes on, it says it enties the cords of bondage and slavery. 
What are you slave to that you want to be free from? Here's a weapon. It sets the oppressed free. Is there an area of your life you can't ever get ahead on? You're always pulled back into a prison cell over it. Is there a memory in your life that the enemy always brings up and you are always transported back to the place where you're full with shame, where you're filled with regret? I want to give you a weapon today straight from the word of God. And it says it breaks every yoke. What is a yoke? A yoke is a device used to put on an animal to control them. This very device that enslaves you is not just taken off. It is broken. It's broken. The Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke. That when the enemy picks up that yoke and tries to put it back on you, it no longer works. It no longer fits you. It no longer constrains you. That this weapon not only frees you momentarily, it can free you forever. Drug addict, you can be free forever. Don't tell me once an addict, always an addict. You can be free forever. The Lord has given you a weapon that can break the yoke. I want to encourage you to pray and to fast. There is much more instruction from God's word. But I feel the need to allow you to study that on your own. And to change your focus towards a difficult subject. Here it is when prayers are not answered. Prayer is such a spiritual weapon, but sometimes we can miss by the misunderstanding of prayer and sometimes the misuse of prayer allows a foothold of the enemy to come in and say, see, God didn't hear your prayer. God didn't answer your prayer. And now it gives him a place to shoot at you. Right? It gives him a place to attack. So let's talk about it. Sometimes we pray. We bring our petitions. We bring our requests to the Lord. And they are not answered. Isn't that right? Oh absolutely. There are some in the body of Christ. Who teach that if your prayer is not answered. It must be a lack of your faith. Or maybe it's some grievous sin. In your heart. That caused God not to answer your prayer. I want you to know today. That, that is not biblical. I would like you to get that out of your heart. And whether or not somebody taught you that, that's just the kind of a thing that a lot of people assume. And I want you to not assume that anymore. I want you to be free from it. I want you to be free from it. Well, I'm going to talk about my buddy, Ackley. Ackley Persley's my buddy. A few weeks ago, he became sick. He went to the hospital. And as a church, we prayed. Oh, man, did we ever pray. Every time we're gathered, we pray. Every connect group prays. I'm aware of people in this very church who secretly fasted and prayed for our friend. They're very careful with it. They didn't tell you about it because the Bible tells us not to do that when we're fasting. They did it for their friend, Ackley. Beyond this local church, countless people we're asking the Lord to heal our friend, Ackley. Last Monday, Monday evening, Ackley passed from this life and entered into his eternal life. And while I am glad for heaven 
I myself really struggled with this outcome. I want to tell you that. And if you struggled with this outcome, you are not alone. I want to be totally transparent with you today. I struggled with that outcome. Not just in the moment, but the days following. Just struggled with that outcome. That night, I woke up. I must have woken up, woken up at least eight times, ten times. And every time I woke up, usually my brain is droggy. And it's like, oh, dinosaurs driving cars. That would be really funny. Oh, I'm awake. How my brain works. But no, every night, every time that night I would wake up, I would wake up in this strong realization that my friend Ackley was no longer with me. It hit me so strongly. But I want to tell you our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Our struggle is beyond the physical loss of our friend Ackley. You understand that? We have lost him physically, but our struggle is beyond the physical. I needed a spiritual answer, and I wanted to share with you how the Lord helped me in my struggle. Can I share with you? Here's how I reacted to Ackley's passing. I asked this question way too much. Did I fail? Did I fail? Did I fail? Did I mess up? Was it me? Was it me? Anybody ever feel that way after praying and you don't get your answer? Was it me? Was it me? Did I fail? Is it me? Did I not pray enough? Did I not fast enough? Did I not believe enough? Lord, did you, was there something I missed? You told me to do this one thing and I didn't hear you and I didn't do it. Is that it? What is it? If I were closer, if I were more consecrated, if I were more dedicated, perhaps if I were sinless, completely like Jesus. Is that what, is that where I went wrong? Is that it? And the Lord in his love, the Lord in his gentleness, I tell you what, you can always tell the difference between the Lord's voice and the devil's voice. The Lord is loving and he's gentle, even in his rebukes. They are always marked with love, the voice of love. In his love and his gentleness, gentleness, The Lord let me know. Here it is. So sweet. He says, yes, I failed. What? Stick with me. God very rarely tells me what I want to hear. Anybody relate to that? (laughs) He tells me what I need to hear. (laughs) What I want to hear and what I need to hear, well, they live on uh, different sides of town. He tells me what I need to hear. The only one to never fail is Jesus Christ. He's the only one to never fail. And compared to Jesus, did I pray enough? No. No. Compared to Jesus, do any of us never pray enough? No. Good answer. Compared to Jesus, did I fast enough? Very good. Compared to Jesus, did I believe enough? What if I compared my life to Jesus' life, his closeness to the Father? Was I close enough to the Father compared to Jesus? Compared to his consecration, his dedication, and his sinlessness, his holiness? Am I okay in any of those regards compared to Jesus? 
No, not at all. Compared to the perfect standard of Jesus, and that's what Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the perfect standard. Compared to the perfect standard, yes, I failed. If you agree, will you say, yes, I failed? Here is exactly the thought that exploded in my mind and really saved me this week. I want to give it to you exactly how it hit me. Your failure has never been worthy of a news headline. Your failure has never been worthy of front page attention. You and I act like our failure is really surprising and new, don't we? Gosh. I want to tell you, it is not new and it is not surprising that we fail. We make sure our failures end up on the front page headline of our mind. We let it roll across the ticker in our vision. We're like, we're here at church, but we see it down there at the bottom. It's crawling across. It said, yep, you sure blew it this week. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise our close friends. It definitely does not surprise the Lord. Romans 3.23, as often as we quote it, will we live it and believe it? Will we let this break the yoke for us? For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and we have all failed. Did I fail? We ask that. (laughs) Did I fail? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You failed. Oh, man. You might not want to hear this, but, but compared to the perfect standard of Christ, on our very best day, we fall short of his glory and his perfection, of his love. All that he is, we fall short. Church, there is a reason that Redemption Church opens its altars And ask everyone to come. Because we're all failures. This church is full of failures. I dare you to surprise someone this week. And invite them to church. And use that. You should come visit my church. It is full of failures. Like me. And just see what they do. I guarantee you that will shock them. Because most people's picture of a church. Is I don't belong there. Most people walk into a church and go, oh, they looked at me twice. They probably think I'm a sinner. I probably should slip out. I should probably crawl out of the place. Oh, you listen to me, Plano, Texas. If you feel like a failure, I've got the perfect church for you. You should meet that failure of a person they call a pastor. Oh, this church is full of failures. We do need to pray and seek God's face. We do need to repent. Us. (laughs) Not the person. Yeah, the person that's never known the Lord that needs that. But don't forget, honey, we need that too. We do need to release our burdens. We do need to pray more. We do need to be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. And faithful in prayer. Oh, we need to fast more. We need to be closer. We need to be more dedicated. We need to turn our backs on temptation and sin. There is an unseen battle. And we're supposed to be 
in it. Uh, Pastor Robert Nelson in Waco, Texas. Pastor Nelson, I've told you this. One of my favorite sermons you ever preached. Walked out and he had like one of those lounge chairs at the front of the church. And he sat in it. He had somebody bring him a drink. I think there was somebody with a palm leaf. They were just, they were just doing this really nice. And he, he preached from that, that, that lounge chair somewhere. And he said, he said, uh, wait, welcome to the cruise ship. Welcome to the cruise ship. And then the second half of his sermon, he, he like kicked over that chair and said, no, the church is not a, a cruise ship. It's a battleship. Thank you, Pastor, for that. I want to tell you today that this is not a cruise ship, that you walk in and everything's just easy and sweet. Your pastor just, oh, what would you like to hear today? Here it is. It's a, aren't you just a perfect little sweet de- not devil, the little sweet little angel. No, no, this is a battleship. All hands on deck. Everybody keep a watchful eye. Everybody listen out. Everybody keep what's, be aware of your surroundings. Know if somebody is about to, to go overboard. Know these things. We are in a battle. Do we live like it? Do we act like it? we have these momentary glimpses of the world around us and we go, oh man, we are in a battle. And then just give it five minutes and you're lulled back to sleep. Uh, You ask a pastor, what are the biggest church services you ever attended? They will tell you there was an Easter and there was a Christmas and 9-11. Coming up on 20 years. 9-11, 9-11, on 9-11, our whole nation woke up and we went, oh my God, we do need God. Oh God, we're falling apart. Oh God, those innocent people. Oh God, we are hated and people could kill us. Oh God, we need you. Oh God, we're desperate for you. And church after church was standing room only. People were running to the churches. But if you ask those same pastors that will tell you those stories, They will also tell you that in the weeks following, attendance just dropped off sharply. What is that? That's a momentary glimpse of the battle. We got to stay in this battle. Stay in this battle. Stay in this battle. Some of y'all in the last few weeks have opened yourself to pray harder. That was not a failure. Stay in this battle. Keep praying hard. You need some new things to pray over? We got lots of them. Lots of them. Lots of them. So there's failure in Chris Fluitt, but there is no failure in God. There's no failure in God. Scripture is clear that God does not fail. His power, His grace, His love, His word, His promise. You want to know what is actually headline worthy. Here it is. God overcomes our failure. That is what is worthy of the headline. God overcomes failure of a clueless pastor. 
God overfails the, a, a clueless mom and dad. God overfails somebody that, oh, he overcomes somebody who couldn't control their eating habits or, or their credit card or, or, their, or their past regret. God overcomes it. He overcomes it. That's the headline. The headline is not that you have or have not failed. The headline is that our God, our Savior, our advocate, our healer, our friend, our Jesus Christ has never failed. It's worthy of a big hand clap. Oh, everybody online, clap for that. Clap for the Lord. Whoa. There's plenty of failure in me, but I tell you, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Failure in me, no failure in him, and on him you can't stand. Mark chapter 9. Man asked Jesus to help his son. Verse 23. Jesus sees the man and he replies this way. He says, everything is possible for one who believes. Verse 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. (laughs) Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome uh, the parts of my unbelief. The parts of my belief that are failing. Say it another way. I I have faith, but you know, my faith also totally fails. I pray, but my prayers fail. Can you help me? I fast. I try to live a holy life. I try to be closer to God, but I fail. Can you please help me past the moment where I'm not strong enough? Can you help me? past the moment I'm not good enough? Jesus, can you help me past the moment where I'm not loving enough, where I'm not forgiving enough, where I am ignorant of your word? Can you help me past the moment? There are things that are just bigger than I can believe. Can you help me pass that line? Jesus did not say, get out of here, you failure. He didn't say that. He does not say, come back when your faith is a little stronger. No. What does he do? Jesus heals the boy. Delivers the boy. He does it. Past the the failure belief. Past that moment of failure, Jesus goes right past it, and he does it. Although the man had a faith that was failing, Jesus never fails. He's able, he's able to overcome all of our failure. We truly serve a God who overcomes not only demons, he overcomes our failures. When prayer is not answered like you want it to be answered, it was not your failure that stopped it. It was never your failure that stopped the will of God. Some prayers are not answered as we would desire Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gar- yeah, Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, Jesus prays in the Garden. Jesus prays, let this cup pass from me. Jesus prays that all the suffering he's about to encounter would just 
pass over him. Let me avoid all this pain and suffering. Jesus prayed that he would not have to go to the cross and die. Jesus prayed that he would not have to take on the sins of the world and be forsaken by the Father. That's what he prayed. Jesus prayed one time, let this cup pass for me. And it says he was so sorrowful that he almost died. How hard he must have prayed. What he must have felt in him. Then Jesus prays a second time. Let this cup pass from me. And it says the angels came and ministered to him. I imagine they were ministering to him to keep him alive. And Jesus prays a third time. Let this cup pass from me. As he prayed, scripture says that sweats, sweat of blood started to drop from him. Blood actually came out. Of his sweat glands. The agony and tension. In which he prayed. Is the height of devotion. It's the height of belief. It is the height of prayer. It is the height of spiritual warfare. Jesus prayed three times. And Jesus. Does not receive. The answer he prayed for. The hour grows late. Any moment Judas. The betrayer will come with guards to arrest Jesus and take him to everything he prayed to be rescued from. I want you to understand these two things. Jesus prayed as long as he could. He prayed right up to that moment where the betrayer was about to come and he gathered his people and stopped that prayer. Jesus prayed as hard as he could. No one could have prayed harder. Then Jesus surrendered. As long as he could, as hard as he could, and then Jesus surrendered. Who did he surrender to? Judas and the temple guards? No, he surrendered to the will of the Father. I'm telling you, Ackley did not surrender to COVID. He surrendered to the will of the Father. And we too, as we were praying, Lord, we surrender to the will of the Father. Jesus says these words, yet not my will, but yours be done. Let this cup pass for me. Let this cup pass for me. Let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes our prayer takes us to Luke 22 and 40. Redemption Church, this message is for you. Everyone listening online, I want to tell you this message is absolutely for you too. But you listen to me, Redemption. This is the word for you tonight. You prayed as long as you could. You prayed as hard as you could. But in the end, we always surrender to the will of the Father. The Father wanted to take our friend. And who could blame our Father? Ackley was a wonderful friend. And we wanted to remain with him longer. The father wanted Ackley now at this time. I was a little boy. I was about 10 years old. And there was this sweet teenager in the church I went to. His name was Bubba Johnson. Everyone say Bubba. 
Bubba was such a wonderful teenager. He called me on my birthday, and he had no idea what Nintendo was for kid. But I would just talk to him about Nintendo, and looking back, I went, he wasn't interested in Nintendo at all. He's just taking care of me, this little kid, this 10-year-old. And he would seek me out at church. He'd pray with me in that altar. He would come and shake my hand. And he would love me. And as a 10-year-old, I remember the day my dad sat me down and said, there was a terrible accident. And Bubba is now with the Lord. And all these things that came into me and that pain and that agony. But I remember the words of a godly man of God, my pastor, his name was Oh, Harley Stover. And he said these words. He says, and it, I just want to share it with you. The Lord picks the most beautiful flowers. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it spoke to a 10-year-old boy, and I've held it in my heart ever since. God looks out, and sometimes he sees a flower he just can't resist. And it's like, I want Bubba appear with me. I want Ackley appear with me. And we think, oh, how sad that they are laying in a tomb. Oh, how sad that they are gone from us. No, they were taken at the height of their beauty. And they are in now the most beautiful place. And a God who loved them couldn't resist taking them to his side. Thank you, Lord, for my friend, Bubba, after all these years. Thank you for my friend, Ackley. Thank you for a place called heaven. Thank you that they are by your side. Lord, I surrender to your will. If it is ever your will to to pluck me, if you would take one as such as me, I surrender to it. I surrender to your will. I believe we give the spiritual enemy a foothold when we misunderstand the purpose of prayer. Prayer is an essential weapon, but if misused, like a gun can be misused, it can cause friendly fire. Raise your hand if you know someone who no longer believes because they prayed a prayer God did not answer the way they would have liked. Oh my goodness, this is not unusual. There are so many young children that prayed that mommy and daddy would get back together. And because God did not answer that prayer the way they wanted it to be answered, they realized in their heart, well, prayer doesn't work and God doesn't listen to prayer and God doesn't care about me. Why should I serve such a God? I want to tell you, you've fallen into the devil's trick. And it's caused by a misunderstanding prayer is in the first place. We must pray and understand the goal of prayer. And here it is. The goal of prayer is to come into alignment with God's will. The goal of prayer is to come alignment with the holy, perfect will of God. Prayer is not twisting the arm of the Lord prayer is not bargaining God if you'll do this I tell you what I will read my Bible 
I will go to church. God, if you do this, I'll, I'll be a preacher. God, if you'll do this one thing, I'll teach a Bible study. Prayer is not a bargaining chip. Not to be bargain, bargaining with God. Prayer is not convincing God you deserve it. God, you know I really deserve this because I have gone to church. I have given an offering. You know, there was that man over there that needed help. I did that. Didn't I do all these things? Oh, God, I'm trying to convince you I need this. Prayer is not convincing God your will is best. You ever give God that talk? Now, if you'll look at my flow chart here, I've got all these reasons why you should absolutely answer this prayer. It's good for everybody. It's called a win-win. That's not what prayer is. Nor is prayer making God aware of your problem. God, I don't know if you know this, but I'm having... No, help me with the verse. He knows what you need before you ask. He knows what you need before you ask. God, prayer to God is not making the Lord aware. When prayer changes you, that's a victory. When you surrender to God's will, that's a victory. You want victory in prayer? You got to change. And your will needs to change. When your will comes into alignment with your creator, that's when the victory comes tell you it works both ways works both ways if it's a surrender kind of will God I surrender to it this is not what I wanted but I surrender it to you there's victory but on the other hand you know when healing comes it's when it is God's will to heal and you in prayer come into alignment with his will and that's when healing happens that's when the miracle happens Oh, Lord, we want to know your will. Oh, how do you know his will? You read his word. You ask him. You pray. And through prayer, you come into alignment with his will. I would tell you, you you do not come into alignment with the God you don't pray to. When we bring our life into alignment, that's when the victory happens. That's a spiritual victory in the unseen battle. So as we close today, I want to ask you, do you want your will to come into alignment with God today. Oh, I hope that's you today. Is that you today? Let's pray that our will would come into alignment with Him. Let's surrender. Let's seek His will. God, show me your will. Lord, you said in your word, this was your will. I'm going to pray that. Oh, let's pray. Let's set apart this place. Let's set apart this moment and talk to God. Bring your petitions. Bring your thanksgiving. Bring your requests, bring yourself, bring your failure, bring your surrender. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I want this to be a place. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.